Product launches are fun, aren't they? You know, maybe you walk the shell, you see a new iteration of something, you think you can do this. But most products that are launched don't succeed. In fact, 90% of them die. If you walk the aisles at the fancy food show or any other big food specialty show, what happens to all those products? It's so rare for a new product to come on the market and succeed. And when it does, what do you do next? Do you kill any of your existing products? Do you keep scaling it? It's a tough, tough choice. And that is exactly what Johnny and Colin are talking about in this episode of Bricks and Clicks. Enjoy the show. walk the grocery store you see all these awesome products and these are usually the ones almost always that have been successful you've seen the same products for 10 20 years they've maybe been there for 50 or 100 years hopefully selling in that time you don't really see the unsuccessful ones those get launched all the time johnny and i walk trade shows and food shows and you just see aisles and aisles of amazing product very few of them are going to make it into a large percentage of grocery stores. And this is something that I think we like to ignore when talking about launching products. It's always exciting to have something new. We always want to believe that this awesome new product that we made is going to be successful. But the stark reality is that most products fail. Most new innovation doesn't work. And that's okay. That's fine, yeah. The hardest thing to do in the CPG industry is create a product that sells well. And often you'll see this too with brands. Like if you think of your favorite brands, they started with one or two items. Yeah, the flagship product, what are they known for? Not who did they acquire down the road, but what are they known for? Is it a cheese pizza? Is it a nutrient dense chocolate energy bar that comes in chocolate, vanilla, or strawberry? Again, we wanna believe that these are gonna work. Often they don't. It's so hard to make a product that is going to sell on the shelf to the point that, again, the first one you made, it got you the success. It is very, very difficult to replicate that, which is why the top products in a manufacturer's portfolio are usually the first ones they launched, at least for many, many years. And that, I think it's an important statement to say that and set the expectations that most items fail because we want brands to launch new items. And working with brands, we get excited. We help plan with these marketers and the people who are innovating new products, help plan them, sell them in. But it's important to set that expectation that these are probably going to fail. Because where you can go wrong is if you think this is going to be the next best item and you build out a forecast for it and you look at the volumes and the velocities and how fast you think it's going to turn. And then you compare it to your portfolio and you say, hey, this item, if it performs like we think it's going to do in this model, it's going to be the best item in the category. Well, chances are you're probably not launching the best item in the category with this item. And so that's where you can bring in the numbers and the analytics to help inform that and say, hey, maybe you should lower that expectation a lot lower and then be happy if you beat it. But that way you're not building your plan on launching the next best item in the category. And so that's a really important piece of analytics and data support we use when working with clients. What else should be considered before launching a product other than a little slice of humble pie to know that it probably won't be a disruptor? So let's say I'm a client, I've just taken over at Cliff Bar and I say, hey, hey Omnium, I've got this great new product. The packaging looks awesome. Let's put 40% of our budget towards this. How would you talk me out of it or talk me down from that? Absolutely. Let's put something in the plan for it. but. 
we need to offset that confirmation bias that we get from walking the store. Whenever we're thinking about products, for each product you see on the shelf, you need to imagine sitting behind it or sitting in CPG product heaven somewhere are the 10, 20, 100 products that failed before that one. And in that context, maybe we say there's a 5% chance that this product really does well. Well, now we just hedge our risk. We're really, we're hedging. We're, we're assigning a probability to this event and let's put a commensurate amount of volume in the plan. Or there's one other way to do this. Shout out to Terry, uh, the CEO of Wild Planet for this recommendation. So if you're gonna put the revenue in the plan because, I mean, you wanna show what your plan could be, consider taking the profit and not building in your profit margin for that. Why not plan for a zero margin for the first year? That way, if you miss, well, first of all, you've got the sales team gunning for that big sales number, which is what you want. But also if you miss it and you sell, say 10%, you're not missing your profitability numbers. And so you're not ruining your entire P&L. Another strategy too is how you launch and where you launch. I think, and Lucas, you know this with D2C and the power of e-commerce, one of the ideas that we're starting to talk a lot with our clients is, hey, can we launch this new innovation just on our D2C website first? Let's see if it works there, right? I mean, that's a very risk-free environment where you can do a lot of testing. You don't need to build up the manufacturing in terms of scale to have the minimum order quantities. You can just say, hey, let's build small samples, put it online and see if it sells on our D2C website. I think that's a really powerful tool that can be used to, to see what works and what doesn't work. What's well, also the power of owning your own channels like your website where you can put a push notification and I'm going to plug them because they're a sponsor. You can put that push notification using OmniSend to say, notify me of coupons when we go into this store or emailing your list of VIP customers and saying, Hey, this is the new flavor. We're going to include it free with all orders this month. And you just see if that moves the needle. But if you can't get your best customers excited about that, you're certainly not going to be getting cold customers who have never tried your products in stores to get it off the shelves, take it to the self-checkout, take it to the checkout and pay for it. That's exactly right. So I know this happens, like our customers and marketing departments everywhere, they're running a lot of tests. Yeah. If you're big enough, you're running big focus groups. But then I think there's a leap of faith that happens right now where, okay, you do all this work, you think you've got a good product, now we're gonna go sell it everywhere and we're pretty sure it's gonna be really great. That's a big jump to go from like development to actual how it's gonna do in the market. Well, I believe it was David Ogilvy, the real world Don Draper and, and quintessential ad man. Before every pitch, he had a little card in his breast pocket he'd take out and remind himself. And all it said was, there's a 50% chance you're wrong. Eventually it comes to that coin flip, either it's gonna work or it's not. And so anything you can do to bridge that, the approach that Johnny laid out where you kind of have a slower rollout, that allows you to keep testing. You're not gonna stop doing your research and analysis. You're gonna slowly ramp it up. As you move into the market, you're constantly doing your research analysis and making adjustments. And then by the time you hit that full scale, hopefully you've got a more optimized product. And really it comes really down to we can't, at least I don't know, I don't think Colin can either, predict the performance of a new item when it's kind of in the concept phase. The only thing I know how to predict future performance is when it's actually sold. So if I get some sales data, hey, even if it's a couple retailers or online, that's going to give us a really good signal for how this item is going to perform as you expand it out and grow into more distribution. What would be a good signal of a new product? Obviously, sales are 
but what might be a false positive and also a false negative? I mean, the thing that I always look at is velocity. So on a per store basis, how fast are your items selling? Typically, we'll look at it on a units or dollars per store selling per week. That's kind of the benchmark we'll use. And we'll see what that number is. And then there are clearly hurdles that you need to be above in the category. And so if you're above that, then you probably have a good chance of succeeding. And if you're below, you probably won't. And one of the big learnings that we've seen too is once you start selling after say about 13 weeks of data, that's going to be what your item is going to turn. It's going to be very hard to change that as you move forward. You can make minor tweaks too, but in terms of expecting big jumps, like doubling your velocity over the next year, that's probably not going to happen. And so that's why it's about 13 weeks of data, get some stores that you're in and look how your velocities are. And that's going to be a really big indicator. How many times have you worked with a project and, you know, maybe you're doing a review after four months, uh, 16 weeks, if my Gregorian calendar math still holds up and they say, well, this is a good launch, but how do we double our sales? Yeah. The answer is fast. Uh, get it in twice as many stores. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Getting your sales per store up. It's just really hard. Like if you have a, an item in a store, there are hundreds, thousands of people walking by your item. You're getting a lot of runs of this game. You're seeing the impact of a thousand people walking by your item, even though maybe only two bought it. That's still pretty rich data. So you're not likely not just going to double it really quickly because you already had a lot of sample there. It's a pretty robust number at that point. Now you could use promotions. You could use promotions to boost your velocities during that week that the promotion's running. And that could certainly allow you to go from doing three units per store per week to 10 units per store per week. But that's just going to be during that week with the promotions on. And when that promotion goes away, I would expect and plan for your volume is going to go right back to the three units per store per week. Do you see regularly long tail effective running promotions? So let's say you go three units per week, you run a promo, you go up to 10. It, does it ever say the next week there's a rebuy or people who saw the flyer and, and just missed it? So then the next week you might do five or four units per week? This will happen only in long term effects almost never do we see an immediate effect like that. If you think about over a year, more people will become experienced or more will bump into your product. Maybe there's some word of mouth, but that's a pretty slow burn to do that. It's more just a, a byproduct of having more customers in an area. Yeah, it's like you can think of it the other way. If you turned off all of your marketing, what would happen? Your sales aren't going to disappear overnight and they might not even disappear in the first week or two. But eventually, things will slow down a little bit. Yeah, it's like if you're uh, a big airplane and you're cruising along at 30,000 feet. If you shut the engines off, you're not going to crash and just drop into the ground. You'll keep going a little bit and slowly start to decline faster and faster. But what's interesting about that, though, it might not be for the reasons you think. It might not be because consumers are stopping or not buying your product anymore of the year. It could be because the retailers are discontinuing you or they're not as excited about it because you're not investing with them anymore. So you're not spending trade dollars with them, you're not spending marketing dollars with them. And so they're going to go look elsewhere. And so they may start taking you off the shelf. You may lose your flanker flavors, your bottom turning flavors. And that could have that gradual erosion of your volume over time. So I think that's a great moment to wrap it up. Johnny, if you want to tease the next episode talking about retail partnerships, where people can hear it wherever they're listening to this episode of Bricks and Clicks. Johnny, do you want to tease a little bit about retail partnerships? Yeah, certainly. So a lot of well, all manufacturers spend trade dollars with their retailers. And I think a lot of companies 
don't really know what they get for it or why they're doing it. They just kind of treat it as a sunk cost and that's what it costs of doing business. But really, you can use those trade dollars to manage, influence, and develop relationships with your retailers and then your consumers. So it's the key dollars that you get to spend. Uh, and that's it's all about the relationships. And we'll tell you more about where those dollars are going on the next episode of Bricks and Clicks. Comes in.